if you are unhappy at work and if work burns you out, then you have nothing left to give to yourself, to give to those around you, to give to your colleagues, to go home and give your family. If you're leaving work drained every single day, how can you possibly make good choices? Because we know we all have this executive function, which is depletable resource, right? So if you leave without any of that at the end of your day, every single day, then how can you possibly make the changes in the world that you know you need to, that you want to? And we spend more than a third of our life at work. So if we're miserable and unhappy for a third of our life, what are we doing with our lives? Do you enjoy your job? Are you happy at work? Do you wish you could love going to work like you used to, but feel that it's a bit selfish to expect to be happy at work when so many people are doing jobs which they hate but have no choice about? This week, Sarah Metcalf, Chief Happiness Officer at Happy Coffee Consulting, joins us to talk about happiness at work, why it should be the metric that we worry about and measure, and why it's better for the planet to have a happy workforce. If you're anything like me, at one time or another, you've probably felt very guilty about wanting to enjoy your work, as it's been drilled into me from a very early age that to be successful and useful to the world, I have to work as hard as I possibly can. The great news is that all the recent research on happiness points to the fact that it's not working harder that's going to make us more effective and productive, but it's working happier. Sarah and I discuss why this is and some simple things that everyone can do in their workplace to make their team that little bit happier and get better outcomes for their patients and customers. So listen to this episode to find out why taking the time to focus on working happier will make you more rather than less productive. The things that really contribute to happiness at work, spoiler alert, It's really got very little to do with how much you're paid. And some quick and easy to implement tips and actions which will make work happier. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and busy professionals in healthcare and other high-stress jobs who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in resilience at work. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us have found that exhaustion and stress are slowly becoming the norm. But you are not a frog. You don't have to choose between burning out or getting out. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. It's wonderful to welcome 
Onto the podcast today, Sarah Metcalf. Now, Sarah is the founder and chief happiness officer at Happy Coffee Consulting. Uh, she's an international keynote speaker on customer experience, employee experience, and happiness at work, an all round good person. Thank you so much for having me. So it's wonderful to chat to you finally. I've been wanting to get you on the podcast for ages and, you know, we've not been able to make it work. But it's really important, I think, for us to hear about happiness right now, particularly in healthcare, where I think a lot of people are feeling pretty hacked off and pretty miserable right now. In fact, I was talking to a friend the other day that was saying that people are, they used to be quite angry about what was going on and, and all the waiting lists and all, and now they're just sort of resigned to what's happening. And I know that you focus on leadership and happiness as well, which I think is a really interesting thing. I'd love to start with just some of the evidence around happiness at work, because I know that in, in the talks that I do, I often, you know, cite the Sean Aker stuff that we want to be working happier, not working harder, because actually it's happiness that leads to success rather than working harder. But I think for a lot of people in healthcare, you know, we are just programmed to work harder and harder and harder. Yeah, yeah. And that makes so much sense because you guys have, I guess, you you have so much purpose built into everything that you do, right? Which is wonderful and amazing and obviously can be really fulfilling. But there's tons of evidence that the most engaged employees or the most engaged people are at the highest risk of burnout. And I can imagine from everything that I know that healthcare professionals and those around them are definitely at the highest risk of burnout right now. So when we are hyper-engaged, we do more. And then there's more capacity. So we get given more and then we do more and then we get given more and we do more. So even though we are super productive, we do have to be extra careful when you are, I guess, driven by purpose or passion or connected in that way. If you love what you do, then we have we have to be a little bit more mindful and a little bit more intentional about how and when we say yes to things. Thank you for saying that, because. I have long thought that, that actually purpose is a bit of a double-edged sword because we know that purpose is one thing that can really help with burnout and prevent burnout. But actually, if you have all this this higher purpose in your job and, and you know, let's face it, healing people, helping people, you know, working with people on the edge of their lives, it's a real privilege and an, an amazing thing to be able to do. But then you feel so responsible and you feel... If you feel this is a real calling into it, that that's a huge responsibility, and I guess it can weigh pretty heavily on people, can't it? I have been lucky enough to love some of my jobs, and definitely have been on that kind of hyper engagement burnout path. And if you're interested in that, you can just Google it. And Professor Jochen Menges, who is Cambridge Judge Business School and University of Zurich, has done a lot of work on that, and he does a, a TEDx a bit about that. And of course, you know, I can appreciate that you're not in a in a company where you can just close your laptop and walk away. Because once you get to that point where you're just almost running on autopilot, you're probably not connecting with that purpose as deeply or as regularly. So you're not getting the benefit. You're probably just telling yourself, I do purposeful work. I do purposeful work without really pausing and just, you know, connecting with what you're doing. Yeah. And I think you sort of hit the nail on the head. It's doing this purposeful work, but without the happiness that goes with it. Now, I'm going to get the elephant in the room out straight away, which is, I think a lot of my listeners and maybe thinking actually, 
is it just a bit in self-indulgent to talk about happiness at work? Is that just a, a nice to have? Actually, no one can really expect to be happy at work. It doesn't make huge amounts of difference. And uh, is, is that the wrong thing to be pursuing? It doesn't feel very worthy somehow. Thank you so much for asking me that question. Great to get it out on the table. I would say it's almost the most important thing. I think we know that the world of work is broken, especially for doctors right now and the healthcare professionals, I think, but for everyone, you know, levels of burnout. I think that the World Health Organization stated that mental health caused the global economy a trillion dollars last year. So the reason I'm really, really passionate about happiness at work is that if you are unhappy at work and if work burns you out, then you have nothing left to give to yourself, to give to those around you, to give to your colleagues, to go home and give your family. But also for me, it links it to the, you know, to climate change, to the the global changes that we need to make. If you're leaving work drained every single day, how can you possibly make good choices? Because we know we all have this executive function, which is depletable resource, right? So if you leave without any of that at the end of your day, every single day, then how can you possibly make the changes in the world that you know you need to, that you want to? That's why I'm so passionate about it. And the world of work is doing that so much to healthcare professionals, but across the board. And so people are not able to take care of themselves. They're not able to take care of their work. They're doing huge amounts of lost productivity. So you're doing work that's not actually doing anything. And the ripple effect of that is really bad. And we spend more than a third of our life at work. So if we're miserable and unhappy for a third of our life, what are we doing with our lives? What are we telling our family? For me, I'm a mom. What am I telling my children? If I'm miserable at work every day and I leave my children, right? And then I go to work and they see me doing that every single day. What is the lesson that I'm teaching people about valuing themselves? What's what's good for me? Why would I leave my children? <laughs> you know, um, the mom guilt, all of those things. If I was miserable at work every day. So that's kind of, I guess that's my, that's my passion piece. But in terms of science, the science is, is backing it up. So basically, in terms of every business metric you would care to measure, improved productivity, lower accidents, better results. It's better for you as a person, as an individual. You're a better leader. You're more creative. You're more innovative. So all the things that we need in this new world to be able to deal with you know, crazy pandemics or potential war, we need to be able to have access to this problem solving that incorporates new ways of thinking. When you are in a happy frame of mind, you're able to access those things. Actually, happiness can can be a matter of life and death for a couple of reasons. I think in the US, they were linking workplace stress as the number two cause of death because it causes, yeah, heart disease, uh, increased type two diabetes, and some forms of cancer are increased by workplace stress. And they're starting to be able to link this to actually being caused by workplace stress. But if you are happy at work or you're a happy workplace, you have all these positive outcomes for yourself. But a, one that I hope speaks to your listeners is Kingston Hospital NHS Trust did a, a study. And when they had high staff engagement, so they did a program on joy at work then they had better patient outcomes and actually they had a lower death rate in the hospital. So when you focused on the happiness of the doctors and the nurses and the healthcare staff, 
you actually had better health outcomes to the point of it reduced death in that hospital. And so I think it's really, really critical on so many levels. And the practices of happiness at work are the things that also can help protect you from burnout from this mental health crisis. Oh my gosh, Sarah, there's just so much in that. I've been scribbling notes furiously and writing all, writing all of these questions. But first of all, I've never really quite understood why the happiness increases productivity. But having just listened to you there, I completely get it now because a happy frame of mind means that you're not backed into the corner, the, the, the phrase I use to, to describe your amygdala response when you're in your stress zone, where you don't make good decisions, everything becomes black and white. And there is that lovely broaden and build theory, I think, Barbara Friedrichson, which is, you know, if you're experiencing positive emotions, you're much more creative, you can solve problems, all those sorts of things. And so if you're working out of that zone predominantly, you just are going to be much, much more productive. Yeah. And you can see possibilities as, you know, as you say, like the amygdala that back into a corner, when you are able to activate that positive thinking, then you start to be able to see your way out of the corner. There's not just one exit. You're not frozen. You're not fighting. You're not running. You see all the different options. And that is, that's how you're more productive. Because when we get into that zone, we, we don't, we don't do the right things and you'll know it. I've done, you know, I just must get this done. I must get this done. And you might come back the next day and go, that was terrible. And you have to do it all over again. Yes, I could certainly experience that. But yeah. I'd just like to ask, actually, because obviously I do a lot of well-being training, resilience training and stuff like that. What is the difference between mm-hmm. trying to increase the well-being of your staff and trying to increase the happiness of your staff? I think well-being can cover a kind of a whole area. So you might be looking at it in terms of you know, their, their physical health as well as maybe their mental health and things like that. And I would, I guess if I were to try to distinguish it, I would say happiness is, is, is more on the mental health side of things. I guess I would use them almost interchangeably. The reason I like the word happiness and the reason I use it is because Nick Marks, who's the founder of the, the UN Happy Planet Index and someone who, who I work with, it, he just describes it, sums it up really easily. It, it's a really clear, good, bad signal. How are you today? If you say I'm happy, I know I know what that means. If you say you're unhappy, I know what that means. Happiness is kind of an umbrella term. So we can call it we can call things well-being programs, we can call them happiness programs. There's a there's a little bit uh, of a a linguistic argument going on which for me detracts from what are you trying to achieve? You know, if I asked you, what do you want for your loved ones in life? I want them all to be happy. Yeah. Yeah, that's and that's what we want. It's what we want for everyone we love. And then somehow when we get to work, it doesn't matter. We're not, we just throw that out the wind. What? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but also we want ourselves to be happy. And we consistently do things both in a work context, in a well-being program context, and in a personal context, like you say, the Sean Acor happiness versus success scenario. But we constantly do things that don't make us happy. We're really, really bad at understanding what makes us happy. But if you think about it as happiness is an umbrella term for positive emotions, it's not just happy, clappy, you know, it's joy, it's contentment, it's, it's well-being, it's all these things. And yeah, we all know what it means. Yeah, I think there is a danger though that some people 
do just equate happiness with the happy clappy, you know, blah, blah, blah. Whereas actually, yeah, if you're using it in the proper definition, that which gives you meaning and purpose and satisfaction, contentment, I think contentment is a really important thing, isn't it? Being able to be content. high energy happiness, but you also have low energy happiness. And those are, those are different. And we should be looking at not just one type of it. Yeah. So, you know, there's a few things I want to ask you about. I I really want to delve into actually, how can you lead with happiness? But first of all, how do you get people to be happier at work? And I know at at the beginning, we were talking about the mental health thing and the fact that Lots of people are languishing. Can you just explain that a bit? Mental health is like physical health. You can have poor mental health, but you can also have good mental health. And we we spend a lot of time talking about poor mental health. And we should absolutely be supporting those people and give them programs and EAP and all that kind of stuff. But as we were talking about, so many people aren't quite in that poor mental health, but they're just okay. And actually, most of the organizational support for mental health takes you from struggling into okay. So if you imagine this diamond, you've got the middle is okay, or as Adam Grant referred to, languishing, right? Or you're just a bit blah. And the problem with that is that's one of those pieces of resilience, which is if bad stuff happens and you're just okay, well, anything can knock you into having poor mental health again, which is completely, you know, completely normal. But if you start practicing the practices of happiness at work and the things that support good mental health, which is where we're trying to kind of push the, I guess, push the happiness at work agenda because it helps people build up those practices so that they're thriving, right? They're in that, they have good and positive mental health. And then when bad things happen, you might fall down, but you don't go into that poor mental health. And so that for me is the real kind of key link um, between those practices. And then you're saying, well, what are those practices would be my guess. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely my next question. What on earth? We're all, everyone is poised going, right, what, what are we going to do? What are those practices? And, and they need to take um, less than five minutes. I am joking, but we, I can imagine that's what a lot of um, employers, HR departments are thinking, right? What, what are the quick fixes here? Because actually doing a whole cultural change program is far too difficult and hard. But anyway, yes, I'm being, I'm being cynical and sarcastic. But the best bit about that is, thank you. I love it because most of the things don't cost you anything, right? So I'll, I'll explain what happiness at work and, and what helps us be happiness at work. What organizations often provide when you ask them, oh, so what are you doing? Maybe in your well-being program, you might, you might find that people are doing this too. And there's a whole list of things you've got, you know, from free fruit and free coffee and lunches or even salary and perks and benefits. So all these like crazy benefits that you have to have for people, lots of the programs that are on offer, yoga, gym memberships, everything to smoothies, right? And everything in between. And I've worked with some of the top global brands in the world. You know, these organizations have everything on the list and more. And some of those people are still not happy. And usually what I do with my clients is I ask them to think about a time when they were happy at work. Do you have a time when you were happy at work that you want to share, Rachel? Let me think. I'm really happy at work right now. I really love what I'm doing right now, which is wonderful. How lucky is that? So. 
specifically, that's you and me creating something together, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I love it when, yeah, I'm finding out new things, I'm creating stuff, I'm helping stuff, I'm getting stuff out there. Love that. Amazing. So what you've just described is what we find. So when I tell, when I ask people that story, it's almost never a time that you checked that you'd been paid. And it's often not a time when you were particularly well paid. I'm guessing in the healthcare professionals, it's never a time when you were particularly well paid, (laughs) right? But by and large, what we hear is that people's happiest work is when they are doing great work together with great people, right? And, And we kind of sum that up in meaningful results and meaningful relationships. Okay. I work with a a framework, which is results, relationships, purpose, and play, right? So we have some meaning in there. We have results, which is that feeling of achieving something, making progress, having autonomy, having resources, having tools, being recognized for the work that you do, having people see you, and having a great relationship with your immediate manager is incredibly important. So the second bit is relationships. So who is the team that you work with most closely? And how is your relationship with your, your leaders? Most importantly, your direct manager. And the things that companies invest in, which cost all the money, right? All those fruit bowls and stuff. Nobody's ever gone to work and said, I got two apples from the fruit bowl today. And I am, I had the best day. That's, that's not what does it. I mean, maybe there's the odd person, but (laughs) actually you say that I, I did a face-to-face talk this week for mental health week and it was wonderful and the client had they had a marquee in the garden and in a break I went and helped myself to a ice cold can of diet coke which you just don't get that in hospitals I was like oh my gosh this is amazing so but I think I, I think that would be <laughs> I think I've set a quite a low bar for my happiness I mean that's like a, that's an individual moment of happiness and savoring something so you go for it that's amazing <laughs> I think I'm just quite easily pleased <laughs> well, that's the other, that's the other obvious thing to, for happiness, you know, like the lower your bar, then the happier you are. <laughs> yeah, totally. But what you're saying about fruit bowls and bicycles absolutely rings yeah. true. And I've definitely talked about the fruit and bicycles approach. And, and actually in the NHS, it gets really annoying for people, you know, they get fr- cycle to work schemes, but they, they might not get free food, but they might get, Hey, but we've got a free yoga class. And they're like, yeah, but we can't go to that yoga class because like we're literally on a shift. What do you expect us to do? And that exactly. almost, that's more annoying than if they're not put it in in the first place. Right. Exactly. That's exactly it. Right. And this is part of, again, that hits results. It's like, you don't see the work that I'm doing. You're so far removed from me. You're trying to give me self-care when you haven't you know, there's not enough resource, right? And I know that in the NHS, this is more complicated than in organizations. However, the arguments and the reasoning is still the same. So yeah, so yeah, so to go back to what makes people happy, so organizations, and they're desperately trying to do the right things. I think it's like a one and a half billion dollar a year kind of uh, business to to help help people have, you know, employee schemes and benefits and things like that. But it, but employees are as disengaged as they've ever been. And that's because we shouldn't be chasing engagement. We should be chasing happiness. Engagement is an outcome of happiness at work, right? Well-being to an extent is an outcome of being happy at work because you're, because you have the things that lead to that. And this is kind of based on Daniel Kahneman. It's his, his description of it is experienced well-being, what we think. So the other thing is this whole success versus thing. So when you sit down and you think about 
oh, but I have a good job and I get paid well and I have benefits and they offer me yoga and they this and they that. So when we think objectively backwards about our work, we think those are the things that make us happy. But it has a very small effect on our happiness at work. It has a big effect on whether we choose to go and work somewhere, but it doesn't have a big effect on our happiness. Those things are when you do great work together with great people. And and you'll know yourself if you've ever worked somewhere where you loved working there and you had a great colleagues and you may have been offered a job that paid you more and you it, you weren't interested, right? And the thing is, those feelings, that creates happiness at work, that creates experienced well-being. So I call it head and heart, right? Those feelings of happiness at work. And those are the things that give us all the positive benefits that I talked about before. So, so many times you're talking to organizations or HR or any of these things and they're going, but we're doing all of this and they're not taking advantage of any of it. Now, some of that is capacity and all those things we just kind of nodded to, but a lot of it is that is then becomes your normal. Um, You don't even think about it. It's a hygiene factor. Happiness at work is the thing that gives you the productivity, the innovation, the creativity, the better leadership, the better sales, the lower death rates, <laughs> the, and I think it's happy doctors. What does it make faster, more accurate diagnoses if they're primed for happiness? So there's just all of these things, but it's not because they're given a pay rise. No, no, totally. And you're, you, presumably you're referring to Hertzberg's motivation hygiene theory with the sort of stuff that <laughs> gives you job satisfaction is not the stuff that gives you dissatisfaction. And yeah, I think that, that's such a, such a helpful thing. And yeah, the ha- happy doctors make better decisions. And we know that doctors nearing burnout have a 63% greater risk of medical errors as well. So it sort of works oh, in both directions that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's not just that they're, you know, they're not doing the extra, they're making more mistakes. And, and that's just not, you know, doctors, it's not just you. There's way higher mistakes in, you know, production workers or anybody actually who is not happy at work when you're unhappy or when you're close to burnout. So the other great thing is that high relationships. So, you know, we talked about results and relationships, high relationships are also a protector of high workload. So, you know, when we talked about hyper-engagement burnout, if you have great relationships, so this is again, when you hear those stories from around the world, it's quite often people were working really hard on a really big project and everyone pulled together, right? This whole idea of community resilience and everyone getting together, achieving something. And, you know, and the reason I have play in there, because then you've got that little bit of like, yeah, you do have that happy clappy, but that's like 5% of the happy at work, right? It's the tiniest bit. So you need to be looking at how you can create better relationships at work. And that often doesn't cost anything. Or you're more able to see the results that you're making in your work. So can you see progress in meaningful work? And that doesn't mean I've finished something, I'm done. But do you know that you have achieved the things that you set out to do, right? So and and is it visible to you? Do you get praised for it? I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. 
Discover your top of the hops, top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. Does your manager know? Now that is really interesting because I think that is one of the things that is really, really difficult in healthcare at the moment. It's very difficult to see meaningful progress when there is a massive backlog, when when patients are waiting, you can't get them seen, secondary care hasn't got enough capacity, everybody's off sick. And so you're working as hard as you can just to stay still or even sometimes go backwards because of the lack of appointments. So you get the lack of meaningful work. And then because of the overwhelm and because of the post-COVID hybrid working stuff and people are still stuck in rooms on the phone a lot, you've actually not got the relationships either. So this is perfect storm of lack of meaningful progress and crappy relationships because you're just not seeing anybody. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's, that's, that this is this perfect storm that, that we are in right now. And I can only imagine that for healthcare professionals, that is, that is terrible, but it's, it doesn't have to be big. You know, you don't have to organize an all hands meeting or everyone off the, you know, but one of the easiest things that lots of my clients like to do is like a ta-da list. So what did you do today? And I can, I can only imagine as a healthcare professional, it's, you're very busy. But if you just took a moment at the end of your day, or maybe when you're driving home or when you get home, or if you have the opportunity perhaps in your office or just at your desk to just write down, who did you help today? And just connect for just a moment. You will get the positive benefit of that. It's not going to negate the fact that you are working in a very toxic environment where, and not that your your work colleagues are toxic, but having low resources, these are the things that they do absolutely cause you to not be happy at work. So I don't want to, I'm not going to sugarcoat it because happiness at work is about being able to show up with all your emotions at work. It's not about pretending you're great every day. It's about going, I am having a really bad day. This is a terrible day. Terrible things happened. And, and that being okay, that not being negative. Right. And there's only so much that you can do, but Again, there are small things that you are in charge of. We were talking about leading with happiness. Emotions are contagious, right? We know about mirror neurons. And so emotions are contagious. Negative emotions are the most contagious. And a leader's emotions are the most contagious of all. So if you yourself are the leader or you have a team or you're the head of a practice, or even if you're in a position of power, so I do a lot of work with customer experience. So even as a receptionist to patient, you're in a position of power because they're slightly more vulnerable than you are, your emotions are the most contagious. So we need to be thinking about how we show up. So if we don't take care of our own happiness first and, and find out what, you know, check in with yourself, how do you feel? Thinking about knowing your own kind of preferences or the things that make you happy. One of my colleagues calls it the drivers of happiness, which is kind of the the parts that make up results in relationships, you know, so thinking about what adds to your feeling of achieving results or success, what adds to your feeling of having a good relationship. And that's different for everyone, right? We're all different. And some people will have more of a preference towards purpose, towards results, towards relationships. I don't meet many people who have a total preference towards play, but some people might. 
So checking in with yourself, right? And then making sure where you can that you're doing more of the things that make you happy. And you might not even have to do more of them, but you just need to be intentionally connecting with them and having that moment to recognize them and just, you know, it's almost like a mini mindful moment, right? Just, oh yes, I did this thing. It can be as small as that. Rachel, you just helped me. Mm, Yes, I did. Think about it, connect to it, and then you can go to your next patient, but that will help you. And these are these tiny little things that we can do to create that. Actually, you can might need to do emails. Maybe you need to do this. Take five minutes. Go and speak to someone, especially as a leader, go and speak to the members of your team. Because again, that helps with productivity. So this relationships and all these things, it's they, they have good business sense. So if you're feeling, when you're feeling overwhelmed and you think you have to work harder, we know that working more than about 40 hours a week actually leads to a decrease in productivity. So if what you're, what you're feeling is like you really need to be working more and more and more, that's just not true. We know that that's actually, even though it feels like the right thing to do, and I can relate, I know that we, we're not getting more done when we do that. So stop five minutes, have a chat with one of your employees, connect with them on a personal level. You know, the, the Gallup study that just came out said, I think somewhere about 85 or 87% of people are disengaged at work because they don't believe that their workplace cares for them as a human being. And that's a pretty horrible thing to feel. But if nobody ever speaks to you, if it's all work, 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 and all you have to do is just ask them a question, connect on a personal level, and then tomorrow do it with the next person and the next person. You know, just actually take that time. So I'm listening to these things, Sarah, and thinking, is there some like hidden difficulty here? Because they all seem really simple. Like, Work out what makes you happy. Do more of them. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just take a moment to savor that. Yeah, I did just help that person there. At the end of the day, just write down the, the good stuff that's happened. The ta-da t- list, you called it. Love it. Just, yeah, you know, what yeah. have I achieved today? And then taking five yeah. minutes as a leader to check in with a member of your team and see them as a human being. Now, that, Yeah. Well, that's pretty doable, I'm thinking. I would agree, but we're not doing it. We, okay. it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like uh, you know, exercising or losing weight. We all know that we should you know, exercise more and eat less, right? So we all know the right things to do. The hard part's doing it. You know? And these are, because of the way our brains are, are hardwired, right? We do kind of reward ourselves, or mentally we reward ourselves with like, oh, I've achieved this. Oh, I've got an email. Oh, I've done this. Right. So we're getting, we're getting that that dopamine hit for the wrong things. Essentially, <laughs> that's where we've got ourselves to. Or we're so stuck in that corner you talked about that we can't see. You know, when you when you just hit that panic and you think I have to do more, I have to do more, I have to do more. But actually, to do more, you have to do less. Mm. You know, we, we are just and and the burnout rates like. It's like running into a brick wall and then going, well, I just need to do that a few more times. It's, it's not working. <laughs> yeah. How did that brick wall work out for you? Was it, was it pleasant there? <laughs> was it great? You know, 
And there's lots of other things you can do, but there's it's so simple. And sometimes I do like feel like a bit of a fraud going, this is my business. And, you know, these are all things people instinctively know they should do. But it's also things people instinctively are not doing because it takes time and actually time, not money, is our most precious resource. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. Because, you know, there's all the well-being stuff out there that if people could just have the time to access, you know, yeah, right. great. And we'd all be we'd all be doing yoga together, sipping smoothies. <laughs> Absolutely. Great. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just curious that as a leader, that those are really nice, simple things. Is there anything else that you'd be advising people to, you know, to be able to lead with with happiness? Yeah. Yeah. Never, ever, ever have I ever heard of an employee having received too much positive feedback. So, and I'm not talking about fake, fake. It has to be real. It has to be specific. Ideally, it's in the moment you've caught someone doing something that you want them to continue doing. You've noticed something, but positive feedback, again, clicks people's brain. And actually people who are in a positive mindset are so much better at problem solving, right? I might get the, I might get the statistics wrong on this. So I'll, I apologize if someone looks it up and the numbers are wrong, but this blew my mind because I was sitting there going, if we know, we all know this, right? This is I'm, nothing I'm saying is, is like, oh my God, I've never heard that before. But when I, I keep wondering why is negative leadership still the kind of default, right? Why does this happen? And so there is a study about kind of putting people in a positive or a negative or a neutral frame of mind and then asking them to solve a problem. And it's like some tax and a candle. So if you were just neutral, neutral frame of mind, you maybe solved the puzzle, you know, say 10% of the time. Like I said, I can't remember the exact ones. But if you were primed negatively, so you were made to feel stressed, you did better than the people who were neutral. So that was somewhere like, I want to say like 17%. So it was, it was not massively higher, but it was higher, right? So people who have negative, I guess, a leadership or are scared or, you know, fight or flight. And that makes sense, you know, the way the brain works. But the people who were positively primed, it was something like 72% of them solved the problem. So yes, you could, you could be in a negative mindset, but that positive and it has, like I said, it needs to be real. You can't just say nice things. It's, it needs to be something I saw you, I see you as a human. I saw what you did. I recognized it. But that has a huge, huge impact on people's happiness at work. And as a leader, that's something that is pretty simple to do. Just again, just notice, pay attention, take, take a moment, write someone a note, say, thank you. You know, again, very simple stuff, but we, we do not do more of it. No. And it's interesting, as you were saying that, I was thinking the the problem which I see with a lot of clinical leaders in healthcare is that you've been promoted to a leadership level, you have your team, but also you have your day job. And you're doing the same day job as a lot of your team, which is you know seeing patients or delivering a particular service. And so you're stressed and overwhelmed and overworked yourself. And so 
being a leader is not at the forefront of your thinking. You're not walking around thinking, I'm managing these teams. How should I, how should I be with them? Whereas I'm thinking maybe some other organizations, there are people who are being the manager and the leader of the team. That is sort of their main job. But in, in healthcare, it's often just sort of what you're doing as well as the other stuff. And, yeah. and then also you get the very flat departments where, uh, you have partners, for example, in a, dental practice or a general practice who are equal. So no one's leading each of those partners or I'm thinking about a consultants. And so what happens is you don't get that intentionality of what am I doing as a leader today with my, with my people. And you don't think to yourself, wouldn't it be good if I gave that positive feedback to my partner over there? Because you don't see yourself as a leader over them, but they don't have a leader. Well, apart from, I don't know, <laughs> the health secretary or whatever, yeah. chief executive of the NHS, who's oh not going to be contacting them going, you know, you were really kind and compassionate to that member of staff the other day. So a lot of people don't have leaders to actually give that feedback. So we need to do it for each other. We need to be thinking of doing that for each other. And then if you are leading a a team in healthcare, the fact that you're a leader probably needs to be a little bit further to the front of your preoccupation about what you're doing. So you can sit down because strikes me all these things that you're talking about they're not difficult, but you have to be intentional about doing it. Absolutely. That's it. And until it becomes like a habit and, and if it's not something that comes naturally, and it doesn't come naturally to everyone, you know, happiness at work, I believe very strongly is a practice. It's like mindfulness. It's like going to the gym. It's not like, it's not a thing that you achieve. It's a practice. You just keep doing it and keep doing more of it, keep doing things differently. And not everything works for everybody, but you know, if you're not good at that, or you know that you're crazy busy, schedule it in your diary, do the thing that helps you remember whatever it is. And you can do things like, what's it called where you're stacking, like habit stacking. So if there's something that you already do regularly, attach the thing you want to do to a habit you're already doing. Anchoring? Yes. Yeah. Anchoring. That's right. Yes. Habit stacking. Yeah. I quite like habit stacking. You've come up with a new concept there. So, you know, doing things like that and then, you know, sharing good stories. Did you hear a good story? Did you, did you witness someone doing something? Like, how do you share that? There was a really lovely story of a really toxic workplace in Denmark and this group of nurses, all healthcare professionals, this group of nurses started and they, because they started together, they formed a really strong bond and they noticed this kind of really toxic workplace and they changed it in such a simple way. So they bought a little elephant with a, with a pin in it and it became, so there was a pin in a, and a, and a book. And so you give it to a colleague for doing something special, but it's a visible thing and it gets written down in the book. So Rachel, I saw you, you know, with Elizabeth, And the way that you just took that extra moment with her and gave her a hug when you could see she really needed it. And, you know, that was really beautiful. And then you write that in the book and you give it, give it to you and you get to wear that for a week. And what happens is everyone sees that. And so they go, what did you do? Why? And so you get to tell the story and you're not bragging. You're telling that, oh, Sarah gave that to me because this. So that starts to create a whole kind of culture of sharing the good, of recognizing and seeing. So you're now, for the next week, you're primed to be like, who am I going to give this to? What did I see? Right? So you're looking out for those things. And they and it completely changed. Just this, that one act completely changed the culture uh, of that nursing department. Because you're, again, 
intentionally, making it something that people can see that they can do easily. It's it doesn't take time, you know, or any more time than scribbling a note and just yeah, you know, less than five minutes. I love that concept. That that is totally brilliant. I can see that working really well. And you mentioned this crib sheet for leaders. What's on your crib yeah. sheet? I'm just dying oh, to know. Most of the things that I've shared with you. So we have like a check-in and that's daily. That's for you, right? So that's how do I feel today? So it's really, again, as a leader, and it's not about pretending or faking, you know, toxic positivity is not a good thing. And as a leader, it's really important for you to be more vulnerable than anyone else. I'm sure you've probably talked vulnerability all over the place, but that's creating psychological safety and allowing people to show up as themselves. So how do you feel today? And just notice it, right? You don't have to do anything with it, but just notice it. And then what makes me happy and how can I do more of that? You know, when you're that stressed, it's hard to understand what you can do to make yourself unstressed. So in a moment that you have some time, make yourself a list so that at the time then you need that, you don't have to activate that executive function, right? You just have a, these are all the things I know that make me happy. So I don't have to think about them because in that moment, I'll tell you what, you will not think about it. But if you go, oh, doing five jumping jacks makes me feel happy. Okay, I can go and I can do that, right? Standing up makes me feel happy. Having a drink of water, getting a cup, whatever it is. Talking to Rachel makes me feel happy. What makes you unhappy and think about, can you fix it, right? There are lots of little niggly things that we can actually fix and can stop doing. And then kind of like, what was your contribution to happiness today? Did you do something else? Like, again, reflecting your to-da list. And then kind of, you know, gratitude, progress, anything you wanted to change. I call it take five. So that five minutes with your employee every day, praise and positive feedback. And then the one for me that is the bit that's a bit about play. If you have the ability, random acts of workplace kindness is a really good place to go, you know, doing something special and surprising for other people. And then sharing that good story, you know, how are you communicating that? If you are a practice uh, lead or a practice manager, or, you know, you're a lead consultant, any of those things, thinking about how are you going to share the stories you've heard, right? How do people know what, how do people know what good is in, in your, in your workplace, right? And then just tick it off, you know, you don't have to be perfect. You might not get it every day, but you know, sometimes some people are amazing. My husband is one of those people who just goes, I need to start doing X every day. And then he could just do it. I have no idea how he does it, but this is how his mind works. I cannot do that. (laughs) I need like 17 alarms and a reminder. And then even then I don't get it right most of the time, but you know, any of those little things that you can do being intentional, checking in, And yeah, it's a practice. It's like mindfulness. You're not going to be able to meditate for an hour the first time you do it. And then, you know, like what's working, what's, what's working, what's not. Some of those ideas might not work in your workplace. The elephant might make people feel uncomfortable and be weird and cringy. Does that mean, is it the elephant or is it the exercise, you know? So don't do that one. Scrap that one. Try something new, you know, like just experiment. It's not, you don't have to do a culture change program. You can just write an email. Yeah. Gosh, and all of those make total sense. We're nearly out of time, but I've got two questions and then I'm going to ask you for three tips. So first one is, I I have a relative who Mm -hmm. doesn't like me talking about thriving at work and being happy at work. I think because they're stuck in a job they don't like. And whenever I talk about actually, no, do something that plays to your strengths, that you enjoy, that you thrive in, 
the comeback I get is, not everyone can do that, Rachel. What about people stuck in really low paid jobs and in much poorer countries who don't have any choice about what they do? Isn't it really, really self-indulgent? I mean, I think I probably know what your answer would be, but what should I say to this person? Because it really bugs me and I get really defensive and then completely incoherent. Yeah, yeah. So I guess one thing I would say to that is I know people like that. I, I obviously encounter them all the time doing the job that I do. Anyone can be happy at work. Okay. And actually, in a lot of poorer countries, what you see is people really happy in their job. So it's about how are you connecting it to that? And like you said, play to your strengths and all these things. But I learned about happiness at work and I didn't realize that that's what it was. My mom was a janitor in a hospital my whole life growing up. And my mom loved her work and she was really happy to go to work every day because she knew she was connected to what she was doing. She knew how what she did mattered. Right. And that feeling of success, right? I would say like in a factory, you probably can can quite easily like see your results more easily, perhaps than in some of us with knowledge, you know, who are knowledge workers or, you know, as you say, healthcare workers, if you're treating sick people every day and there's, you know, there's always sick people, there always will be that can that can you, you really have to think hard about. Obviously, you have made a difference, but it's hard to see that when you're constantly faced with it. But actually connecting, you know, who did my job help today? Or what did I do that made something better? Or what is the thing about your job? It can be so tiny, you know, and it is personal. And I guess I would just say, you know, anyone can be happy at work and kind of leave it at that because it's a choice. There, there is a point where it's a choice. What are you focusing on? And no, of course, if you're in slavery, you're not going to be happy at work, but that's not really work. Right. And again, it, I think doctors and, and, and nurses and people who are in an in a work context where you have so much pressure on you and you have no autonomy to be able to change the system. That's that definitely causes unhappiness at work. Right. But there are things you can do to raise your own individual happiness and to choose to do. So you you can't change those people. I tend to kind of let the let the cynics I'll have a conversation with them, but then after that, you know, if they want to be miserable and unhappy and, you know, stressed and less healthy and all those well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> There's like, lots of us that really don't want that and we really want to make changes. <laughs> yeah, it's like you do you. I mean, th- th- there are lots of people in the world who don't have a choice and who yeah. are in, you know, very, very difficult circumstances. But that doesn't mean that those of us who do have a choice shouldn't yes. then then try and actually, it's like you said, if you are happy at work, you're going to be doing better, better in the world anyway, aren't you? It's going to be good for the planet. So it's good for everybody. Yes. So it's, it's not it's self-indulgent. Not, it's better for everyone around you. So it's, yeah, it's not selfish. Thank you. I'm glad we cleared up that point. Second point, <laughs> obviously meaningful relationships, really important. Yep. And I'm just wondering if it works the other way around, if you could have everything there, you could have good work, meaningful work, getting results. You can have purpose, you can play, but you've got a really bad relationship with your boss. Will that just trump everything in terms of happiness? Mm -hmm. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Not always. So high social support is the kind of the antidote to both like a high work, a high workload, but also a really difficult situation. But yeah, 70% of people who leave their jobs, leave them because of their boss. 
And so as a boss, again, we have this really huge responsibility that does come often when we're overloaded. But yeah, if you have a toxic boss, then you can try and work it out. A lot of the time they don't want to be. Most most people, I'm with Rucker Bregman on this one, most people are genuinely good. They might not know. They might think that people are motivated by negative. They might be in that negative mindset. You don't know what stresses they're going under or anything. So I always like to get curious if at all possible, but I have had a toxic boss and I quit. I was in a lucky scenario that I could. I appreciate not everyone can do that, but if you focus on results, relationships, purpose, and play, you'll be, you will be buffered. You, you will have a little bit more resilience. You'll be a little bit closer to that thriving side of things. You'll be in a better place than someone who didn't have that and, and you would still have the toxic boss. <laughs> Yeah, I think yeah, that that that's very helpful. And just remembering, and I, I talk about the zone of power all the time, you know, there are some things that you can control, there's some things that you can't control. We can't control other yeah. people. I mean, you can give feedback, you can make requests, you can express needs. At the end of the day, if, if they're going to be like they are and, and, and things aren't changing, then again, you have a choice. You have a choice about what you yeah. do and where you work. So yeah. that's interesting. Right. Now, we really are out of time. So Sarah, okay, top sorry. three top three tips. So anyone who's thinking, I'm not that happy at work now, what top three tips would you give them? I would say first one for me would be relationships. So just go take five minutes with someone else, you know, to think about, just reflect on your week. Is there one tiny, tiny thing, or maybe it's a big thing that brought you a little bit of joy, a little bit of contentment, a little bit of, you know, any of those things. What was it? Try to identify not what you did, but what that feeling is, because that's the good feeling. And just, again, it's like gratitude. Once you start practicing it, you'll see more of it. You'll be able to do more of it. And you'll kind of get yourself out of that spiral. Three things you said, right? Catch someone doing something good and tell them. Wonderful. So that's two things for you and then one thing to make other people happy. So I love that. Oh gosh. So that's just been, that's been really, really helpful, really helpful. And I'm sure lots of our listeners are thinking, yeah, because those are easy things, right? That Well, they're easy once you've made time for them, you've been intentional about it. So simple, not easy. So tell yourself that because yeah, they are very simple, but the hard part is time and intention. So that has just been fantastically helpful. Thank you so much. And there's so much more to talk about. So it would be great if you could come back on on another time, if that's okay. I would love to. I've had such a good time. and Thank you so much. Oh, you're very welcome. Now, Sarah has very kindly agreed to share her crib sheet, her happiness at work or how to be happy at work crib sheet for leaders with us. So there'll be a link to her downloadable PDF in the, just for us, just for listeners of You Are Not A Frog. So thank you so much. That's... (laughs) Very, very kind of you. So there'll be a link to that in, in the show notes. Um, but Sarah, if people want to get in touch with you, get hold of you, how could they find you or find out more about your work? Yep. I'm on LinkedIn and kind of, you know, like the usual socials, but you can go to happinessatwork.co or uh, Happy Coffee Consulting, or you can just email me. I'm Sarah at happinessatwork.co. And uh, yeah, I'm always happy to talk happiness at work, as you can hear. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Well, thank you so much and have a a good rest of the day. Have a happy evening. Thank you. You too. And uh, I hope your listeners have uh, get a little bit more happiness in their lives because they sure deserve it. Totally. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. 
Don't forget, we provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend. Get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at youarenotafrog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now.